Welcome to Happy Poly Days, a series of intimate conversations about polyamory, sexuality, identity and relationships, hosted by me, Leanne Yao of the Polyphilia blog. Hello everyone and welcome to a day 10 of the Happy Poly Day series. Today I'm speaking to Purity to Polyamory, who specializes in talking about uh, deconstructing religion within the context of polyamory. Um, welcome Purity to Polyamory um, and yeah, tell, tell, uh, tell people more about what you do on your page. Hello, hello. Um, I talk mostly on my page just about my evangelical background in um, Christianity and I focus mostly on like recovery from purity culture. And so I guess I'll give a little spiel about what purity culture is in case anybody has been spared from that. But um, so basically purity culture is the idea that you are looking for your one soulmate that God has for you and you um, are holding off on being intimate in any way until... Mm -hmm marriage. So Mm -hmm. there is just like a ton of pressure within the church um, by pastors and by parents that are um, essentially saying like that you must not be sexual in any way um, Mm -hmm. before you're married. So I experienced that um, in my younger teen years. I became a Christian at a summer camp and um, was really involved in church and Bible study and all of that. And just like had this messaging taught to me that basically um, I needed to find my spouse and I needed to wait to get physical with them until the wedding day, pretty much. Mm. So um, coming from that background, I, um, I've obviously made like a pretty large journey into um, polyamory. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, a lot of evolution there, but um I guess what I noticed um, back in the beginning of this year, I was kind of like looking for more resources that talked about polyamory in the context of religion. And Mm. I was really sort of unable to find that kind of account or um, focus. And so Mm. I ended up just opening my account and writing about my own personal experience. And it's sort of grown into a space where um, I just have a lot of people who come from that evangelical background. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of Um, people who come from Mormon backgrounds, just basically like any oppressive religious structure that taught um, purity culture Mm -hmm. and people who are sort of recovering from that ideology. Um, And then I think like, I really like to say like, at at least here in the United States, um, most of our sex education is like abstinence only education. And mm. so there's a, there's a flair of purity culture there as well. So um, I, I really feel like it's sort of targeted at pretty much anyone who just felt like shame and guilt around their sexuality at all. Yeah. And, um, and then is now sort of like making the very big transition that is getting into non-monogamy. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are a lot of kind of, um, you know, uh, re- like deconstructing religion accounts and there are a lot of polyamory accounts, but I think yours is the first that actually kind of like marries the two concepts, which is, you know, surprising that there wasn't something like this before because like there are quite a lot of, um, you know, like ex-Mormons, ex-Fundies, like ex, uh, like ex-Fees, like who um, got into, you know, got into polyamory later on. I mean, you know, um, the, uh, 
like the three three mountains triad who are very very well known on tiktok um like janie from like uh, from that triad like she grew up like evangelical as well um and you know talks about that on on her channel a little bit but you know that's kind of not a specific focus of of her channel but it's just you know i think it's really valuable that like her you're creating this space and this kind of um uh community i guess like for people to come together and talk about like the effects of um purity culture um so you know like i'm coming at this uh from you know like i uh, like i'm not a very religious person at all you know like i grew up in hong kong my parents um well my mom rather like is catholic but you know she wasn't like a super strict catholic it was just kind of one of those like you know if something good happens she'll like whip out like god's name to say like you know like it was like his his path or his way and if something bad happens then she'll be like god has a plan um but like beyond that like i didn't go to church um i didn't uh, you know like i i went to communion but none, none of it like was taken like super seriously you know like we didn't like it, it it was just kind of like something that my mom like would take out as a teachable moment whenever she felt it was convenient rather than something that we kind of stuck to the book like constantly you know even though I was technically raised catholic you know I don't I pretty much you know gave up on it when I was like nine or ten and my parents were just like okay <laughs> so you know like I, I like I didn't have that kind of overshadowing kind of my views on sexuality and all that all that kind of thing so you know I'm very fascinated about with your story you know like kind of growing up with with these beliefs and also you said that you you became Christian at a summer camp so you weren't raised Christian yeah so I my parents were they were Christian but they were not like um there's definitely different levels like yeah for what you were talking about like I, I'd say um my mom definitely would consider herself a Christian but she never really made any kind of like judgment or like shamed me for anything like that um mm-hmm. when I experienced that that was more at the camp and like at the youth groups and churches that I got involved with myself mm, mm, mm. okay yeah like there, there are different levels I think um <clears throat> in the UK there's a term for like Christians who like only really kind of like you know celebrate like their kind of Christianity like at special events and they're called the like, Christmas and Easter Christians <laughs> so like yeah. outside of Christmas and Easter it's not like not a big deal yeah yeah I would say that's like probably my family and mm-hmm. so it, it I think it actually like bodes well for me being able to have this space because mm-hmm. I have kind of a privilege in that my family would never like disown me to find out that I'm polyamorous. Mm. Um, in fact, like at this point, they all know um, and they all accept me and love me and everything. So I, I'm super thankful for that because I know that there's like a majority of my followers who have a lot of fear around coming out because of their their families of origin. So, right. so I do feel like I do feel like I have like a great position. Um I was exposed to the extreme side of like judgmental Christians, Christianity um mm-hmm. from my ex um my ex's family. And mm-hmm. so I spent like 16 years basically um being um, subject to that but um because we are no longer together like I don't really have to worry about what they think anymore so yeah yeah that's that's really nice so I just I do feel like I like I was exposed to it I um understand it I understand the shame and the guilt that comes along with it and I have the freedom now to sort of speak out in a way that um feels really good for me and mm-hmm. kind of maybe gives voice to people who are not able to 
um, talk about it as much. Yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, you know, like the more like an extreme ends of like, uh, like judgment and um, shame. So could you possibly kind of share some anecdotes and give some examples of like, you know, how, uh, you know, significant moments like where like, you know, you felt like purity culture had made like a large impact on kind of your beliefs and, you know, anything that you kind of view as like shocking today, basically. The rhetoric in the evangelical church um, around purity, Mm -hmm. it, it varied depending on, you know, which church you went to and, you know, um, what the pastor decided how to illustrate. But basically there's so many, like, I don't know, metaphors that they would use on us as teenagers. Like I've heard things like, like you're, if you would be a chewed up piece of gum for your spouse, if you like have sex before you're married or you're, you're, you're ripping a piece of paper and you can never put it back together. Just like all of these like crazy metaphors. And like, there was purity rings in Christian bookstores that you could go and like your your dad could give you a purity ring and like you could pledge your purity with a purity card. So just like all of this like huge amount of pressure as teenagers to make these promises that were basically like combating like our awakening sexualities, right? Right, yeah. And so um, I, I think like just we were put in these positions that we were starting to have these feelings and hormones and everything flowing and like instead we had to like hide it and suppress it and Mm -hmm. that just like breeds unhealthy feelings and shame and guilt and um for myself I started dating my ex when I was 16 and um just I mean every single time we would have some kind of physical encounter or whatever like I would feel this immense amount of guilt afterwards and be crying and just be like, oh my gosh, like we can't do this again. We can't do this, you know? And it just weighed on me so heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so do you think I, it, it, sorry, keep going. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. Um, and so like, I mean, we, we did that for the better part of two years. And I was from the ages of like, I, I think I almost, I was about to turn 17 when we started dating. Um, until 19, we, we did this, like, we should, we should, or, you know, obviously we get hot and horny and then like (laughs) do things. And then afterwards, like me just break down and feel terrible. Mm. And we did that for like two years. And then finally, like (laughs) he had proposed. And so I like, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely marrying him. Like I have a ring on my finger. And so I'm married in my heart that's totally a thing that you would hear like uh, (laughs) evangelical Christians say like we are married in our heart like it's it's okay now right just anything to justify it and so we finally like had like PIV sex or whatever like (laughs) yeah you know like I mean we were doing other sexual things but like that's you know it's just so stupid it's like that's that's the thing that um we were supposedly not supposed to be doing so um and then after that like it just like the the guilt was was terrible for me and um I we were like so oddly and weirdly um confronted by his family and like that was like asking us about our like personal intimate life and for some reason my ex thought it was a good idea to like share this information with them and oh god yeah and so then it was just like six months of like just being treated like 
basically I had, I was, I was a terrible human being. It was so, so such like such mind fuckery basically. Yeah. Um, up until the wedding day. And then we got married and I remember distinctly like coming back from our honeymoon and seeing my in-laws again. And all of a sudden I was treated like this amazing human, like, because I was a wife now. And so it was really, really difficult to kind of like make that switch. Yeah. 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 And then on top of that, like, basically you're telling these young kids like don't think about sex don't act like you enjoy sex like you basically you become like almost sexually repulsed in a way because you're being trained to be like that Mm -hmm. um and so then it's like but then all of a sudden you're supposed to flip a switch and you become a spouse and suddenly you're supposed to have this incredible sex life that god is apparently going to bless you with with if you wait oh my gosh yeah 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 so 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 you just literally you flip from you know sex is this like you know no good thing that's going to send you to hell um and, you know, it's basically kind of uh, like in some religions, like, uh, you know, I've, I've been told that it's like a sin, like akin to murder, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then you kind of flip that from like this, like God given gift that you should save, like for your one true love. And it's like, wait, so this bad thing, you're supposed to save it for your one true love. And like that, that doesn't go together. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then like within the context of um, marriage, if you had gotten that far, um, you suddenly are for a lot of, um, especially women in, Mm -hmm. in marriage, um, in the, in the church, Mm -hmm. you are really basically encouraged to sort of do whatever your husband asks you to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I wrote about this a few weeks ago and asked for people's experiences and, um, lots of people wrote in basically sharing, about how the church kind of encourages this thought process of you are your husband's helper or whatever. And whenever they want it, you must give it to them. So imagine Mm. like, you know, you be basically believing that sex is like evil and you can't think about it. And then the next week being told you have to say yes, no matter what. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine there'd be a lot of pressure on women in particular. Um, and I wonder, you know, could you, could you speak more on like how, um, you know, gender kind of factored into like the effects of purity culture, like on, on, on an individual? Yeah, so I mean, from the conversations I've had um, with men who were a part of purity culture, I don't, I don't think it was just women. I think, I think that we, women are um, more, I think maybe more affected because of that idea of just sort of like you're, you're serving your husband or whatever. Yeah. Um, And I think for men, it's like, you become kind of like that whole idea, like men are pigs, like you just have to give it to them whenever. And Mm -hmm. like, for myself and and what happened with us is like, I, I think we just had different like drives mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. not wrong. It's just a fact. Like, it's just a simple fact. Um, and instead of me sort of trying to like communicate through that with him, like instead I, I pretty much like shamed him for his desires and what he wanted and like mm-hmm. how often he wanted it and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so it just became this like huge dance of me shaming or him, you know, him asking me, me not feeling that me shaming him and like resentment building because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think um, all of that, all of that is a huge factor. The other thing that sort of comes up a lot that we talk about is the idea of that you basically like cannot be friends with the opposite gender like you sort of cut off like Mm. you know and so because like I remember this um, distinct story where um, a pastor was sharing about how if he is so uh, like the the term is above reproach (laughs) that um if he if he's on an elevator and a woman walks on he will immediately get off the elevator like he won't stay on it to ride to the next floor or whatever because he won't be alone with a woman like this is a real story that was shared because of what like a woman is so inherently sexual that you he can't stand to be put near her possibly you know like <laughs> right. yeah well that's the thing is like it's just really making it that all sexuality and everything is in the hands of a woman like it's our responsibility it, and then again going back to like how we serve our husbands it, it all comes back to us like mm-hmm. so um it just and that is why like we um many of us who are like speaking out about it say like purity culture is rape culture mm. like Mm. It, it genuinely makes it so that all of you know a, a man's desires and sexual sexuality and everything is like the woman's responsibility yeah yeah no I can absolutely see like the correlation there so that was the kind of environment that you know like that you you like grew up in for you know you know 16 years like in in, in your marriage in your relationship you know ever since that kind of summer camp yeah. how did you move from that to non-monogamy <laughs> yeah so for us um that dynamic played out for a really long time of him Mm -hmm. just having that higher drive me shaming him um him just struggling with the shaming of course um Mm -hmm. and him sort of also kind of continuing to push boundaries because another another thing that um purity culture really robs us of is um consent is is learning about consent yeah don't I mean, I don't think I heard the word consent until, you know, I was fully deconstructed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that dynamic just continued to sort of like play out in our relationship. And so we eventually like went and like sought out a sex therapist and she encouraged me to really think about my own desires and my own fantasies. And that, and like, I remember her just like looking at me and being like, well, what, what are you into? And I honestly could not answer that because up until then, our entire intimate relationship had been all about what he wanted. Um, and so I did, I just like, basically, she also um, gave me like, at this point I had started sort of deconstructing my um, faith mm. and sort of pulling that apart. And she gave me like the permission to really like lean into like masturbation and like that, because we were taught as well, like that that's wrong. Wow. So, like not, yeah. Not only were we being taught that we couldn't have sex with someone else, we genuinely were taught like we couldn't even like do that with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So 
um, it was the first time that someone had been like, it's not wrong. You can explore, you can explore your sexuality, figure out what turned you on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started to do that. I started to think about it and, um, had a couple experiences, went to Vegas with some friends, came back, like to share, like we didn't do anything, but like, um, my friends danced with some guys and I came back and like shared that with my husband. And he was like, oh, you should have danced with people. And I was like, what? <laughs> you oh. know, like it just totally threw me. Cause like for him, like he just had never internalized, um, the part of Christianity uh, that had shame around sexuality because I, I don't know if he was just getting different messaging as a man, but mm. um, th- that's like my best guess at this point is like that he, that they weren't really talking to the boys, like they were the girls. Um, yeah. Which, which lines up with like that women are the holders of, of yes. sexual experiences and all that. So, yes. so he he was like, he was quite like kinky, I guess. Like he was outside the bo- the vanilla box for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because like he, again, like did not care as much about the, the like sexual shame part of Christianity. And so he, he like encouraged me basically to continue this path of exploration. And that went on for like several months. And then we sort of started to like talk about I remember like really fun like experiences where like I would I was like admitting to him for the first time that I had looked at porn and like that was fun and exciting for us and all of that and so this just like slowly morphed into um me sharing fantasies about being with someone new because um for myself I had never even kissed anyone else oh yeah so yeah So, um, just kind of sharing with him, like, oh, I wonder what that would be like. And, and that was not something he had ever even thought about, um, which surprised me because I I hadn't thought about it, but like, there comes like my, my non-monogamous self sort of like appearing for the first time. Um, and, and so we, we just like slowly unraveled that ball and Mm -hmm. we got into the space of non-monogamy like online, um, Mm -hmm. I had asked him like how he would feel about me talking to other people just to sort of explore and he was okay with it. Um, again, I think because he was just very excited about me sort of becoming this new person. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a self-discovery and- journey. I think that's exciting, you know, to watch someone you love, like kind of uh, find out new things about themselves. Like that's always kind of, uh, you know, it's scary as well, but I think it, it's, it's can, it can be a very fulfilling experience. Yeah. And I think, what really happened and I can obviously like hindsight is 2020, but, um, I like to like draw the correlation between like not having a good, like sexual education when you're young, like, and going into like, and having, and being under purity culture and all of this to kind of what happened to us where we did not we were not at all prepared for non-monogamy. Like we had not done the research. We didn't even know what we were doing. We were just like, this is really fun, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, basically didn't like, again, like it's just, it seems so naive now to, to say it, but we had been taught our whole lives that like, once you find your soulmate that God had appointed for you, then that would be it. You wouldn't, like how, 
there's there's no way you would fall in love with someone else, right? Because <laughs> you'd found the one, so you couldn't possibly right. you're locked in. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds so naive, and I'm just like, because I remember like a conversation that my friend had with me, who wasn't a Christian. She was like, "So you guys are you know exploring non-monogamy?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Well, what happens if you fall in love with someone?" And I was like, "Oh." that's not going to happen. Like I love my person. Like I have my person. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's just like so naive. And um, I mean, this is part of the reason why I like am doing like a lot of the work that I'm doing now, because um, I definitely want to help people and especially people who are coming from that, like that mind, that Christian mindset of like, I'm finding the one that God has for me. Like, so, you know, this will be fine, whatever. So mm, basically mm. like, um, you know, long story short, we all know like that that's not real. And <laughs> um, I ended up like developing really strong feelings for someone that I um, met through that like online experience. And um, after like many years of sort of trying to like go back and forth between um trying to sort of reconcile that and figure it out. I just pretty much was like, I think that non-monogamy is just so much more realistic for someone like myself. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I can be with one person who I've been with since I was 16 years old for the rest of my life in a monogamous way, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I did come to him and and tell him all once I had kind of like discovered polyamory I that was something that came a little bit further into the journey but um started to once I developed those feelings for that other person I was like wait you can love more than one person at a time okay yeah. oh it's called polyamory okay um mm-hmm. and ended up like approaching him about it and um yeah I mean could go into the whole long story of like the three years that that (laughs) was between that but um long story short is that it just didn't really work for him and that's not what he wants for his life which is totally fine and valid um Mm -hmm. but uh ended up like that I'm moving into more of like a solo poly um life at this point so yeah Mm -hmm. and do you uh, just do the two of you have children yes yeah yeah Um, and so do they know about, uh, you know, all like all this stuff that's been going on? No, they're so young. So, oh, okay. um, yeah. And they wouldn't, you know, that's the thing is like, we could all sit here and just go like, oh, it was polyamory. It was that she discovered she's polyamorous or wants polyamory, but like, there's so much more to the story and to relationships and incompatibility mm-hmm. that, um, people don't know or see so yeah um, yeah there's often more layers to it all the time and I think you know like yeah I think like what you said about um how like you had this naive idea that like you once you found your person you that was it you were locked in and you know um it's it's interesting because like um I, I I really don't think that's unique to kind of people who grew up like very religious right like I think there's this belief that like you found the one you don't need to work hard anymore because you'll just be happy forever um you know yeah. the Disney happy happily ever after narrative right and you know but like the reality is that like relationships take work and then you know particularly in long-term relationships like desire has to be cultivated um and you know um and a lot of people don't realize that they just assume like if you love someone then everything else should be should come easily um and that isn't the case at all 
Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of frustrates me in some ways that um, people can look at our story and like point to polyamory or non-monogamy and go, oh, that's what went wrong. And mm. when really like we all know that like there's so much more to it, like um, for instance, like compatibility wise, like our faith just completely, I mean, his faith stayed the same, but my faith changed a right. lot. And so um, I no longer consider myself a Christian. I, I basically like label myself agnostic. Um, mm-hmm. but that was not something like for him, he was able to maintain his faith and his faith, um, stayed really important to him. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like another piece of like the, the pie here of sort of incompatibility between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think polyamory definitely was like the final piece that was like, this is definitely, um, just pointing to incompatibility and totally different directions for our future. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, I think it's really important to highlight that because, you know, um, so many relationships fall apart, like after opening up and a lot of people don't realize that like you go through quite a lot of changes, right? Like, um, when you're, um, when you're opening up a relationship, you know, firstly, obviously you're kind of, um, uh, like transitioning like the, uh, like the entire kind of foundation of your relationship, right? You know, monogamy is like based in exclusivity and you've just taken that away and that's massively destabilizing. And then there's like the whole thing of, you know, you're unlearning everything you were taught to believe about relationships, about love, you know, the idea that you have your soulmate, your other half, you know, um, like that, that kind of deconstruction and like that kind of unlearning of core beliefs um, is, this is also like a really massive change. And then not to mention like the self-discovery journeys that each of you were going on, right? And, you know, sometimes you come out the other end and you're not even recognizable to each other at all. And so, you know, it's, yeah, like you said, it's very easy to just point the finger and go like, oh, polyamory fucked this up. But, you know, like the amount of change and the different types of change that go through, that, that happen like when like a monogamous couple like open up their relationship cannot be understated. And I think that people kind of brush over this for some reason, because it's, um, it's really hard. You know, I genuinely really commend couples who are able to kind of make that transition and still be together on the other side, because it's not just due to like immense amounts of skill and communication and trust, but also luck, because sometimes you go on that self-discovery journey and then you, you know, you become a different person and that can't be, that can't be controlled. That can't be helped. Right. Um, and you have to be immensely lucky to be on the other side and still with your partner at the end of it. Yeah. It's almost like you, kind of have to go on a similar evolution journey exactly Um, and I see it happening in the deconstruction community as well like um one spouse might completely deconstruct and uh, again like I did like and and consider themselves agnostic and one you know their faith is super important to them so yeah it's just all about um sort of acknowledging that we can evolve and we I don't know for the, for the couples that um, are able to sort of do it together and mm-hmm. stay at the same similar or similar paces. I think it's really cool. I also really um, like the analogy of just like imagining like a whole new relationship. Like, yeah, I know that um, um, Esther Perel yes. talks about like when an affair happens and like, yeah. um, um just you're basically like burning the whole thing down and starting new right yeah yeah um I think you know not to sound extreme or anything but I I do feel like that that is probably pretty similar when you change your relationship structure Mm, um mm, mm. you kind of do have to create a whole new 
like relationship together. Yeah. And if, and if you're both not on the same page about what that relationship looks like, it's going to be pretty rocky. Yeah. I remember Jessica Fern in Polysecure, like in the early kind of chapters of that book, I remember her mentioning that, or was it, or was it that, I'm not sure whether it was Polysecure or one of her YouTube lectures, but she kind of compared opening a previously monogamous relationship to, um, you know, like demolishing a house and just reconstructing it because she was like saying how it's not like you're building a fancy extension. You're not like renovating and kind of repainting the walls. Like you are burning the whole thing down and like building it up again. And right. uh, yeah, and I think that lines up with what Esther Perel said as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it is tough. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's possible. Um, and But I think for those of us who, um, come from a Christian background or um, re- oppressive religious background, um, especially those of us who are trying to make this transition with a spouse that they married mm-hmm. um, in that background, um, it's it presents a lot of challenges. Yeah, um, like I think anytime you have to question an entire belief system, like obviously that's that's going to be, you know, you don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. So yeah. you don't identify as Christian anymore, um, yeah. but you know, do you think that, I mean, obviously, like, I do know that, like, you know, there there are polyamorous Christians out there, and there are polyamorous people who, like, all all kinds of religions, but, you know, what's your personal take on kind of reconciling Christianity and polyamory, or or I guess specifically, you know, like, evangelical um, kind of Christianity? Yeah, I mean, I think polyamory is this beautiful thing where we all sort of just kind of go, whatever works for you works for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I go with that same mindset. Um, and w- when it comes to faith and I do know a lot of people who are able to have some kind of faith, um, even Christian faiths, um, and are polyamorous. And mm-hmm. I know, there's um, a video by, um, I still, I really want to give him on my podcast. I haven't talked to him yet, but um, a, a guy who runs um, Queer Theology on mm, Instagram, okay. you can find, um, he does a um, video that is about Jesus is polyamorous. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that there are definitely people out there, especially there's like a lot of, like, I've noticed there's a lot of like, um, queer polyamorous folks, um, Mm -hmm. which is amazing and beautiful. Um, and so I'm going to be definitely one of my first, um, few episodes of my second, um, podcast season coming up. Um, Mm -hmm. I will be talking to someone who considers themselves a Christian and, um, is polyamorous. So I'm excited. I'm excited to, um, um, talk to them Mm -hmm. and just sort of like understand how they can like sort of reconcile that their faith um with these ideas but yeah I mean at the basis of it it's just love right it's just that love is abundant and I think realistically like God is love and Mm -hmm. if if you're able to like I don't know just lean into that I, I I definitely understand how people can maintain their faith and and be polyamorous too so. Yeah, yeah. Love thy neighbor, taken taken to, you know, literally. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do think, I mean, I think the, the main thing is just, like, sexuality. So, mm, like, yeah. if, you, if you really hang on to that sex outside of a monogamous, hetero relationship is sin, 
then you're never, you would never be able to make that kind of transition. Yeah. So that's why I think, that's why I think there's a lot of like queer Christians who are able to be like, yeah, like, why wouldn't we, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, so it's kind of, um, so, you know, you can reconcile Christianity and like religion and polyamory, obviously, but then it's purity culture and polyamory that you think like would not mix. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I think just like shame around our sexualities and our desires and stuff is not going to bode well if you're seeking a polyamorous structure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. So like now you identify as solo polyamorous and I guess like what what motivated you to uh, kind of gravitate towards solo polyamory specifically rather than kind of any other type of polyamory? Um, I mean, I'm open to however my life whatever way my life goes, like I could never have anticipated 10 years ago <laughs> having these thoughts and desires and, and going in this direction. Um, so I'm really just open to whatever, but like right now I'm a single parent. And so, and I definitely don't want to live with anyone. So mm-hmm. that just right away kind of like knocks off, off a nesting pot partner. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And I think for myself, like, because I had been with my ex since I was 16, there's just a really important um, part of myself that I'm still discovering. Um, mm. I like, for instance, um, you know, I had a feeling that I was demisexual, but I had no way of knowing before being, becoming non-monogamous. Right. Um, or again, like with my sexuality, like just exploring all of those questions. Um, mm-hmm. and so for, for myself, solo polyamory is like the, I think the best way to like really, be the most liberated in my choices like no one has any no one has the ability to have a say over what I do with my body or who I love yeah yeah for sure uh, I just really identify with that and you know again I don't know who I will meet I don't know um how things will change and what I'll want and I honestly I don't know if I will always maintain a polyamorous relationship structure I Mm. I can see myself like I don't know I I often contemplate like if I were in a relationship like an anchor partner relationship that allowed me to like have the freedom with my connections Mm -hmm. that I really wanted will there be parts in my life where we we appear monogamous like sure I I'm totally open to that yeah um I'm I'm not willing to date anyone who is going to shut the conversation down like as yeah before it yeah. even begin yeah um and so because of that like I conduct all of my connections in a way that everyone knows how I feel about like love and that I am not going to cut love off because someone else told me to. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah, that, that completely makes sense. So yeah, I think it's really important. Um, and I've said this on kind of with like previous guests, uh, like on this kind of series already, where, you know, it's important not to um, kind of let your identity, identity, identity and labels be so fixed that you know, they end up no longer serving you, right? Like, you know, some people kind of attach themselves to like a certain style of polyamory or a certain identity or a certain sexuality for so long that like when, even when the reality doesn't kind of match up to match up to it, like they still kind of cling on to that because it's all they've ever known. Um, and I think it's uh, very important not to kind of box yourself in um, 
you know, just in case, like you might want something different in a couple of years and it's okay. You know, like, like I said, you know, like label, labels aren't commitments and it's important to um, kind of allow for flexibility. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's good that you're open to kind of like whatever comes really. Um, and I completely understand that after, you know, being in uh, like, you know, a 16 year marriage or like relationship, you would kind of want to break out of that and kind of basically experience a complete opposite, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it does feel like, okay, what is the ultimate freedom for myself um, mm-hmm. to kind of figure out who I am? And that's the stage of life that I'm in now, which has been really amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I kind of wanted to touch on, like you mentioned just now that uh, you're uh, you identify as demisexual, um, or like you think you're demisexual. Um, and I remember like when, back when you first started your account, like we had a conversation like way, 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 way back, um, mm-hmm. where we were talking about how, you know, um, purity culture might've had had like an effect on, you know, someone kind of identifying uh, like as demisexual. Um, yeah. um, and you know, do you have any particular thoughts on that? And I, I understand this is kind of like thorny to talk about because obviously I don't want to say that like every demisexual person is just like suffering under purity culture. Obviously I'm not saying that. But then, yeah. you know, as someone who I, I did identify as demisexual at one point in time and then later I just discovered, oh no, it was just like, I was I was a bit sheltered. Um, and now I, you know, I'm a massive slut. <laughs> um, and I identify by, I've, I'm the furthest from demisexual I could possibly be. Um, and that was my personal journey. Um, so yeah, I was wondering if you had kind of any, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely acknowledging again, like demisexual, demisexuality is valid. Mm -hmm. Um, for myself, like the beginning of walking into non-monogamy, I, um, just was like, so I get probably the same thing, like sheltered, um, shy and just, again like just felt like shame for like having these sexual feelings and stuff and so I kind of associated that with like okay well maybe I need an emotional connection in order to get sexual so that must mean that I'm demisexual Um, yeah yeah and I I think like for myself like what non-monogamy has given me is is the freedom to explore that in a in a way so like right now I feel like this is where I'm at right now. Um, demisexuality for me looks like I can still feel sexual attraction to um, people, but it's like, I like to describe it like having an appetizer, but not the full meal. <laughs> okay. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> so like, for me, it's like, I, I can have a sexual experience with someone I don't have an emotional connection with. And it's fun. And it's like, it's like a good appetizer. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't feel, I don't walk away from that experience feeling satisfied. Like, mm-hmm. wow, that was great. You know? Um, and w- for people who I have like deeply emotional connections with, and we can like cuddle and talk afterwards and all of that, like, it just feels like such a more fulfilling experience. So yeah, I, I think for me, like just the fact that I'm even getting the chance to like figure this out has Mm -hmm. been like the most incredible feeling for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. Like, um, 
I mean, like for, for me, like I just remember, like, you know, even though I wasn't like, you know, raised very religious, like my, my, my parents had fairly conservative values when it came to sex, you know, they were each other's first kiss and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, like my mom was always like, you know, you shouldn't have sex with someone unless you kind of, you know, you've like, you've already gotten an emotional bond and like, you know, that's kind of because like sex is meaningful and it has to be like tied to love, like for it to, you know, like be good or, or something. Um, and then, so, you know, I, I very much internalized that belief. Um, and so, you know, like I, like with my first boyfriend when I was 16, like I waited nine entire months before we had <laughs> sex, which was a big deal for me. I think like at the time, like looking back, I'm like, I've, like I've I, I I like I have sex on the first date now. I can't believe we waited nine months like back then. Um and um yeah, and because like I really like wanted to be sure, like or whatever. Um and you know, like well, what ended up happening, and I, I this is nothing to do with my sexuality, but like what ended up happening that kind of tarnished like the whole like that whole belief for me because I was so focused on like finding like the one who I like I would have sex with and then you know like uh, like it would be so meaningful and beautiful and 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 you know I wouldn't regret it or like whatever um like I found out about two months after the fact that uh like um prior to the first time we had sex so we had both lost our virginities to each other he he cheated on me two weeks before we had sex for the first time and I had no idea. Um, and so like, you know, that, that definitely tarnished the experience of me, you know, like, at the, like knowing that, like I'd shared such a vulnerable moment with my partner at the time and he had been lying to my face for like two weeks. Um, oh. and he continued to keep that up for like three months. You know, he confessed the truth to me about three months later, but you know, the damage had been done. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so then I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You had internalized that it was like this special thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, it is a vulnerable moment, right? Because like, I think, you know, like a first time, like it can, it, it's, it's invasive, you know, if you're like a vulva owner, right. And you, uh, and it can be painful and it's uh, like, and it, it's, it's massively anxiety inducing. Um, like you can bleed and it's, it's like, you know, I think it's a much bigger deal like um, for for someone with a vulva than for someone like with a penis because just like there's so many more factors like involved in kind of you know like the experience um, and uh, so yeah like I wanted it to be special um, and so you know to, to find out after the after the fact that like you know he'd been lying to me um, I think I was just like well fuck that <laughs> yeah um, why did I why did yeah. I wait for this. Yeah. Yeah. Why did I wait for this? And, 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 you know, I, I still, you know, I still have fond memories of my first time because like, you know, apart from like all of that contextual stuff, like it was embarrassing, it was hilarious, but it was, it was vulnerable and it was nice, you know, like I, you know, it, it's fine, you know, it is what it is. Um, But then it definitely kind of uh, showed to me that like, you know, sex is not, it shouldn't be as big a deal as I make it out to be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think this this conversation like bodes well to like whether or not you um ironically whether or not you like support like sex workers and stuff (laughs) because Mm. like uh, because I think like if you put such emphasis on like how special intimacy is in that way like it's it would be hard for you to wrap your head around like people who choose to just like have sex like or casual sex like sex workers people who enjoy casual sex all of those if you think that you're like I don't know like giving away a part of yourself or you have some like weird like soul tie to a person (laughs) that you 
Like, yeah. because this is, this is really what people think. Like if you, if, like if you have, I guess it's just PIV, I don't know, but like yeah. you are, you are giving a part of yourself away. Like, of course that would be hard to wrap your head around. Like people who just literally look at sex, like an activity, just like any other activity that we could be doing with our bodies. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's like, uh, you, you bring up such a good point because, you know, now like I've evolved to a point where, you know, sex is just like a, like a, a hobby for me at this point, <laughs> like genuinely, yeah. um, you know, like I, like I, I have fun with it, you know, I, I like doing it with my friends, you know, like I, I it's, it's like a very casual thing, you know, it's a way I express kind of affection for people. Um, you know, I, I don't think I have like a close friend who like, I haven't had some kind of like sexual relations with, um, you know, whether like we ended up kind of being kind of sexually compatible or not, like, you know, there's probably been kind of some, some form of experimentation there. Um, and I like it, I enjoy it, you know, like I think it's self-care <laughs> um yeah and so you know like it's it's wild to me that you know just like six years ago or whatever like I was you know at the complete opposite end of the spectrum I was just like I need you know it needs to be special it needs to be like with like it needs to be in the context of like a like a committed kind of loving relationship or whatever and now I'm just like eh. <laughs> totally totally yeah I'm, I'm there too I mean I definitely took that journey as well <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so, you know, like I, I would love to kind of hear uh, a little bit more about deconstructing process, because like I think like when I, you know, when I when 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 followers come to me and clients come to me kind of talking about like unlearning mononormativity and purity cultural, like whatever else, um, I think like there's a lot of, you know, logically, like I know that like this belief I have is harmful and it's not really serving me, but I don't quite know how to internalize like the new belief. And I was wondering if you like, you know, had like a particular process for um, kind of unlearning like all this, all this stuff that you grew up with or whether it was just something that came with time, you know, could you say more on that? Yeah, I think mostly it just comes with time. It's a, it's a little piece by piece unraveling of everything that you sort of believed before I mean I think deconstructing your faith looks very similar it's parallel paths to um to deconstructing mononormativity as well Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um you can't just go from being in a monogamous relationship where you think that person's your soulmate and and then the next day want to be in a polyamorous relationship you know these things happen over time so um yeah I think I, I personally would like to develop a little bit more like resources around like the purity to polyamory sort of pipeline. Um, <laughs> yes. Very um, alliterative PPP. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that it looks different for a lot of people, but what's, it can be so overwhelming because you're like, you're basically just unraveling all these parts of your, your life. Like Mm-hmm. at the same time <laughs> mm-hmm. um or often obviously like a lot of people go um deconstruction and then they're like wait why am I why am I still in this relationship structure that um I got into in you know while I was a Christian and nothing nothing makes sense anymore why would I stay in this kind of relationship structure you know yeah um So yeah, it just is sort of like an unraveling of all of it and in a piece by piece. And I think the best thing to do is just for for people to know that this is like a really, really 
big process. Mm. Uh, going from monogamy to polyamory is huge, is like a fucking turn your world upside down. But like, if you're coming from that religious background as well, it's, it's just another act added extra layer of um un- unlearning everything you knew yeah yeah and yeah and you know like you said there are many parallels right I think in both purity culture and mononormativity there's the idea of the one true love right um yeah. and you know there's like the whole idea of I guess you know you um like the more you kind of save like the like the idea that you know things like sex and love and affection or whatever are like scarce and you need to kind of save it for for someone um i think maybe that isn't so much the case in normativity but i think there is still kind of this idea like you know you're just not supposed to kind of be with other people because you need to kind of save that kind of thing and make it special um for your partner right yeah um and um i don't know like what other parallels are that you would probably be able to answer this better than me <laughs> those are the two that come up for me uh-huh. I mean, well, so here's one, like, um, jealousy. So, Mm -hmm. like, um, we are taught as Christians that God is a jealous God. Okay. Um, That he's jealous for us. I don't even really understand, like, what that's supposed to mean for us. But, like, just that he's jealous for our love and that he wants our love. Oh. Um, And so, I mean, and then, and then you go, like, you move into, like, well, like, the church is the bride of Christ like that's in the Bible um mm-hmm. and so basically the idea that like like toxic well, toxic masculinity is so prevalent in the Christian church um and then like on top of it we are that it's literally teaching men to be jealous mm. and to have these traits of like possess possession over your spouse right so yeah, I mean, can you imagine like the going from monogamy to polyamory, you're already like having to really like let go, like give freedom to your spouse and like acknowledge that they are their own individual and like and deal with your jealousy and look at jealousy as something like, you know, we as a reflection tool, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. instead of being like, well, it's it's a good thing because mm-hmm. it's literally taught that it's a good thing that our our god like was is jealous for us or whatever so that's that's another thing that i think comes up often is just like majorly um deconstructing toxic masculinity ideas um yeah 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 and i think in mononormativity as well like je- yeah jealousy is seen as good um you know like and yeah. it's seen as kind of like um it's, it's seen as romantic even it's seen as cute like if you if your partner is jealous um and you know while like i you know a little a little bit of jealousy is probably fine you know like that can be taken to very extreme lengths you know like i see kind of tiktok like prank tiktoks all the time on the straight tiktok where uh you know people are like trying to make their partners jealous and trying to get a reaction out of them like for fun um and it's just like why would you do that <laughs> like, um yeah, and it's just like, and, and if they don't get jealous, then you get angry. Um, like I remember watching a TikTok where like this guy, um, like so, so like he 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 was you know like his girlfriend was doing her makeup in the bathroom or whatever, and then he came over and he was like, hey, I'm going out with Kelsey tonight, and he was kind of waited, kind of expecting her to be like, who's Kelsey? You know, like who are you spending time with, or you know, like whatever. Uh, but her, but his girlfriend was just like, okay, have fun, and he proceeded to throw a fit. 
he like literally proceeded to just be like you you know why aren't you jealous or you know like you're kind of expecting her to have more like of a like a moment of possessiveness or whatever and being angry that she wasn't upset um and I think like that's kind of when things just get a bit fucked yeah yeah totally and yeah so to just have like that like us to be told that like god is that way yeah <laughs> and, like, yeah that's what we're aspiring to be like is like god you know like jesus or whatever um, yeah. yeah this it's omnipotent omniscient all-powerful god who you know is like so good and perfect but is jealous <laughs> i know it's so weird to me now i'm just like oh wow yeah so mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a lot of um, undoing all of that, that, mm-hmm, that conditioning mm-hmm. that we, we were subject to. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you're doing some great work like on your, on your platform. Um, and so I, I would love for more people to kind of uh, know where to check you out. So where can people find you on social media? Sure. Okay. So I am on Instagram at purity to polyamory. I'm on Twitter. I think my, my, I'm pretty sure my Twitter handle is purity to polyam because mm-hmm. I could not put all yeah, 15 characters polyamory. in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I have a podcast as well called purity to polyamory. Um, I have eight episodes out now. I host mostly guests that have um, a religious background and are now um, walking into non-monogamy polyamory. Um, I did have Jessica Fern on during the first season which was a really awesome episode where we talked about this specific like pipeline mm-hmm. to polyamory and how she has seen um people who she's worked with um be affected by it and stuff so yeah it's a great episode if you want to check that out um but yeah that's that's about it yeah all right thank you so much um and uh thank you for uh, thank you listeners for listening to the end thank you thanks leanne Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Poly Day series. If you'd like to support my work, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash polyphiliablog. You can also follow me at polyphiliablog, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. Buy my polyamory merch at polyphiliashop.redbubble.com, or book a peer support session with me on my website, polyphilia.blog. Until next time!